0: Good evening, everybody. We will be in Psalm 22 and also Matthew 27. Psalm 22 and Matthew 27. A couple quick announcements here, just wanted to share with everybody. If there is anything you need there at home, be it a Bible, be it a devotional, be it anything like that, let us know. We can get something sent to you. Just text me, just email me, just call me, and we'll do that. Somebody contact me about our daily breads, and if you want one of the, our daily breads, once again, let us know. We'll make sure that those get emailed out to you, excuse me, emailed out to you, get sent out to you. If you email me, we'll send one out to you. Also, I was back in the office here today, grabbing a couple of things here, getting ready for tonight. And once again, I know Renee mentioned this a long time ago. There's a really nice life application study Bible back there. Um, It has been marked up a little bit there, but there's no name, no nothing. If this is your Bible and you want this, let us know. And if anybody wants a Bible, like I said earlier, let us know. Maybe you came to church and you always use one of the church Bibles. You don't have a Bible at home. We never want to take that for granted. If you want something, just contact us. We'll get that sent out to you. We want to do whatever we can in this season to make sure that people have God's Word in their hand. Uh, Donna, contact me, sending out some more boxes there. I know we prayed for those last week, but just keep those in prayers. Those are going out to the soldiers to really represent the love of Christ to them and to really let them know that they are prayed for and cared for. And don't forget prayer call on Sunday, uh, 3 o'clock. Prayer call on Sunday at 3 o'clock. Great time for the body of Christ to come together. As we've been saying out here, we may be isolating physically, but we do not have to isolate spiritually. And I hope you can be part of one of those prayer calls and really be blessed by that. Follow along on the Instagram study as well that Pastor Renee is doing uh, through the book of John. You don't have to have an Instagram account to do it. You can just go link on it and read it. It is on the Facebook page as well there, the link off of that. And, uh, hey, you know, we're doing most of the stuff here through the Facebook page. And obviously some people do not have access to that. If you know somebody that does not and they want the CDs sent to them, once again, just contact us. We'll get the CDs around. We'll send something to them in the mail. And if anybody has any needs... Let us know. We'll get some stuff around. We can go just drop it off on your doorstep. We really want to represent Jesus Christ in this. You know, when we first started doing this, Hard to Believe Now, about a month ago, you know, we said those three things that we kind of uh, took from one of Greg Laurie's messages, that we want to be prayerful, we want to be practical, and we also want to be purposeful. And, you know, we can take practical steps, but let's be prayerful in this season, and let's be purposeful. There's an opportunity here to really go represent Jesus, and that's what we want to do. Psalm 22 tonight. Boy, I tell you, um, that was a real blessing to see that with with worship there. That was just... I I tell you, I can't get over that, just how much of a blessing that is to come out here. As I think I mentioned the last message as well, I don't watch the videos beforehand, so that way I can come out and just get a chance to worship like everybody else. And just seeing um, Rachel... You know, doing the guitar, and Rachel, you're doing very well on the guitar there, and Piper Air guitaring along, that was just so cool. And then to see the whole Reed Sucker family there, what an absolute blessing that was. And a real quick shout out to you, Bethany. I don't know if I've ever seen somebody lead worship like that, playing guitar, with a toddler crawling on their shoulder like that. So I want to let you know, I thought that was pretty amazing there as well. So... All amazing, to God be the glory. And I hope you can take those moments at home where you're watching that and just be blessed to see the body of Christ come together at this moment and just say, Lord, for you and your glory. And speaking of the body of Christ coming together here, we on Sunday, with being Resurrection Sunday, We'll obviously be live streaming at 10 o'clock as well. We are going to be doing communion as well. So that means if you could get around some grape juice and get around a cracker, you can partake of communion at home with us. And for the guys at home, great opportunity here to just go ahead and lead the family in that. We'll be doing it here. Um, I'll be doing it. Elias will be up in the sound room. But Elias and I will be doing it here. So I'll be reading the verses and going through it with you. But get the stuff around um, and, and be blessed by that. And if you have any questions about what that is, just contact me. I'll, I'll talk you through it. But you basically just need some grape juice. You just need a cracker there. And then your family can do communion with that. And hopefully be a wonderful blessing on how we can do that. And if you're not able to get out to get the grape juice, if you're not able to get out to get the cracker, once again, contact us. We'll find a way to get something in your hands there. We really want to be able to do this as the body of Christ. Um, and hopefully come together and be blessed by that. Now... We're in Psalm 22 tonight, and this worked out wonderfully. Uh, God's perfect timing here, because we actually did Psalm 20 and Psalm 21 on Sunday. And on Excellent Wednesday here, we normally stop, take a little bit of a break, and do a special teaching on the death of Christ on the cross. And God's perfect timing, we're at Psalm 22, which is the perfect psalm, the perfect psalm for Excellent Wednesday for us to stop and do this. Now, I have to be honest, Excellent Wednesday has always been one of my favorite messages that we do out here church. I love the Old Testament. I love getting into the law of Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and looking at how everything is a picture of Jesus. I've loved talking about his death because here we are, we spend one service here really talking about what it means for Christ to die on the cross. And then on Sunday we have this amazing day where we get together and get to talk about the tomb being empty and the resurrection on Resurrection Sunday and I love it. But this is a very um, somber, sober teaching because it's really about christ and him dying and why he had to die and he had to die because of me he had to die because of you he had to die to take care of the sins and so god's timing is perfect that we're at this amazing psalms this is one of the most prophetic messianic psalm in all of the psalms multiple references to jesus many allusions to him being on the cross this is written a thousand years before jesus so it's an amazing prophecy right here and that's why i wanted you to go to matthew chapter 27 as well now before we get into this some of you may be wondering why we call this Excellent Wednesday. This is one my, uh, I love telling this story. I started coming out to uh, Harvest here in Hamler in 1993. That's when I got saved. And at that time, we were meeting in the little white building there beside the bank in Hamler that then became the library, and I don't know what it is right now, but that's where it was. That's actually where I got saved when uh, Pastor Krager was teaching. And the church here and in the, in the Hamler idea of it had been around for a couple years in different people's houses, etc. And then after that time, we moved out to the high school. And we were at the high school then for about uh, four or five years while the church was being built. Now, when we were at the high school, we could only be doing services, you know, during certain times. So we weren't able to come in and do the the classic, what people would call Good Friday service. So we would do it on Wednesday. And I started teaching the Wednesdays in 1997. Now, when we moved out here to church in 1998, we were able to, and if I remember correctly, and, you know, Jim would probably know this uh, member, and maybe Rich would remember it as well, too. I believe we did one quote-unquote Good Friday service actually out here on a Friday. But we had always done what we would call the Good Friday service on a Wednesday because we weren't able to get into the school on Friday since it was closed. And I think when we moved out here, we did one Friday. And we kind of realized, I was teaching the Wednesdays, and I, we kind of realized, I, I, I like this idea of the Wednesday feel of this. And kind of tongue-in-cheek, instead of having Good Friday, we just started calling it Excellent Wednesday. You know, Good Friday, Excellent Wednesday. And here we are now, 20-some years later, and we're still doing Excellent Wednesday. And I hope you're blessed by it. It's where we get a chance to stop and just talk about Christ and what it means for His death on the cross. Now, a lot of times... When we're going through Psalms, we always try to make sure that we talk about maybe the history of what David was going through at the time, how it's relatable to us, and, and some emphasis, obviously, on Jesus. But I really want to make sure the emphasis tonight is on Christ. We'll make a couple points about us, maybe a couple points about David. But really, the emphasis is on Christ. And what we are doing here tonight is we're stopping and making it abundantly clear why Christ had to come die on the cross. Now, we need a Savior. We are sinners. I don't know if anybody here would ever stop and say that they have never done anything wrong. I've mentioned to you many times before, I've met two people that have told me they have never sinned. Other than that, at least everybody at least stops and acknowledges the fact that they have done something wrong. The Bible makes this very clear in Romans chapter 3. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So all have sinned. In Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Okay, so right there is our problem. Everybody has sinned and the result of our sin is physical death. And then ultimately, spiritual death. God is perfect. He is in heaven. He can't allow imperfection into heaven. So now we have a major problem. We're not perfect. He wants perfection. So God fixed this sin problem through Jesus Christ. Through the death. There had to be a punishment for the sin that Christ took care of. There had to be a paying for the sin that Christ took care of. So the punishment has been taken care of and the paying has been taken care of. And that is through Jesus. I read this great quote by A W Tozer recently. It says this in jesus 's day, his critics used to say in scorn, "This man received sinners. they were right, and he lived and died and rose again to prove it. The blessed part is this: He is still receiving sinners. Oh, I love that. Here they are trying to put Jesus down by saying, This man receives sinners, and the reality is he does receive sinners." He lived and died and rose again to prove it. And the blessed part is this. He still is receiving sinners. That's you and I. And that's what we're celebrating tonight. Through his death, his sacrifice, he is paying the fine, the debt that I cannot pay, and granting me entrance into heaven. Romans 8.3 says this. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. That's what we're talking about. Is Christ as the sacrifice for our sins. Second Corinthians 5 says this. For he made him who knew no sin. Jesus was sinless. That's why he can pay for my sins. Because if Christ was a sinner... Somebody would have to pay for his sins. Christ was sinless. He who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Righteousness is just a fancy word that means to be made right. I am now made right through Christ because I couldn't make myself right. This is the emphasis of this. This is what Jesus was doing. I just saw on the Instagram Bible study through John that uh, Renee was going through John 17. And John 17 is that amazing prayer. Of Jesus. And he said in John 17, 19, Jesus praying, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them, so they can be made holy by your truth. Jesus says, I'm giving myself as a sacrifice, and that is what we're here to celebrate tonight, and that's what we're here to acknowledge tonight. And this is a beautiful messianic psalm to take us right into Matthew 27. That's why I wanted to, for our call to worship prayer, to read that Isaiah 53. And I hope you remember that. What an amazing passage that is. And I just want to emphasize a couple verses for it. Surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin. And that's what we're here tonight to talk about. That's what we're here tonight to celebrate. We understand the theology of this, I hope. And now we get a little bit into the mind of Christ on this. Because take a look now at Psalm 22. To the chief musician set to the deer of the dawn a Psalm of David. Verse 1. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear and in the night season, I'm not silent. Now, obviously, David writing this, maybe he knew from the beginning this was a completely um, messianic, prophetic psalm. Obviously, there was a struggle that was going on in his life where he felt like God forsaken him. I and mean, we can all relate to that. Where we have this moment of how many of us at one time or another have had a Psalm 22, verse 1 moment of, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? Look at the wording there. You've forsaken me. You've abandoned me. Why, God? Why, God? Do you not hear verse 2? Now, the way this ties into Jesus, keep your hand here. In Psalm 22, go ahead to Matthew 27. We're going to be making a lot of references here to Matthew 27, so keep this open. But just take a look at this to see the tie-in. Starting in verse 45, now from the 6th hour, that's noon, until the ninth hour, that's 3. There was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthan, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see the tie-in now. So this psalm is really a psalm, what was going through the mind of Christ on the cross, And by him crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 46. Any good Jew would stop and realize the reference he's making, that he's quoting scripture there. And so as we go through Psalm 22 and compare it to Matthew 27, you're getting a glimpse. Like I said, we have talked about the theology of why Jesus died. We can talk about how much God loves us. But the reality is this. Now we're seeing a glimpse, biblically, what was going on. So Christ is crying out, why have you forsaken me? He felt forsaken. He felt abandoned. He said, God, do you not hear? Why did God do this? Why did God forsake Jesus? Why did God abandon Jesus? Why? The answer is found in verse 3. But you are holy. Holy. That's a fancy word that means to be set apart. Every now and then I'll run into somebody and I'll talk to them about the scriptures, how the Bible says they're a saint, or the Bible says they're holy, and they'll stop and say, oh, I'm not a saint. Oh, I'm not holy. And I always stop and say, listen, you don't understand what that word means. Because if you tell me you're not holy, then that means you're not saved. If you tell me you're not a saint, that means you're not saved. It's a word that means set apart. So we have been sanctified, we have been set apart. Holy doesn't mean I'm walking in sinless perfection. Holy means I'm walking in Jesus' sinless perfection. And I've been set apart through Christ. See, the deal is this since God is holy, He cannot look upon sin. So therefore, my sin can never get me into heaven. I, I, I can never do a good, enough good. I just can't. Christ took my punishment, took my pain, took my debt, paid for it. And as he's paying for my debt, he now feels this forsakenness by God because he's taking the punishment and the pain. And he says, God, you're not responding. But he says in verse 3, I know the reason why. Because you are holy. You're holy, Lord. Here's the problem. Sometimes we don't think we're, we're bad. We're not think we are bad we are I don't think my sin's that bad. I found this a really interesting study. (sighs) Listen to this. The word stink in Hebrew is balash. It's a primitive Hebrew root word meaning to smell bad, obviously. Figuratively, it means to be offensive morally. The same word is used in Proverbs 13.5. A righteous man hates lying, but a wicked man is loathsome. That's the same word. ...and has come to shame. Lotham is the same word. We need to understand that sin... ...when it's defined as rebellion against God... ...puts the sinner in a position of unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is the odor or stench... ...that is produced by sin. Isn't that fascinating? The Hebrew idea here of sin... ...is the same Hebrew idea of word... ...of stench or distinct. stink. That's what we have to remember. We don't think... ...we spiritually smell bad. We think we spiritually smell like roses... Just like if my kids go outside and play, they don't realize what it comes back in when they smell. The bo- dog goes out and gets sprayed by a skunk. You don't realize that. Have you ever been sprayed by a skunk? I got sprayed by a skunk one time a few years ago. I was coming around because there was a skunk outside and he was right there, turned, got my shoes, got my pants, got me. I didn't think it seemed that bad. Came back in the house, it was awful. Because I was already used to it. Took the pants and the shoes, set them in the garage, let them sit for a while, thinking it was going to be okay. I didn't think it seemed that bad. You go back and reinvestigate it. It smells worse than you could ever imagine. Here's the deal with my sin. I spiritually stink. There's a spiritual stench to me. That's what the Bible says. I don't think I smell that bad spiritually, God. But the Lord comes back and says, Yeah, but you do. Understand the holiness of God. Understand how much we spiritually stink. The sin of it. That's the uniting of that word there. That's an amazing thought to stop and think about. That's why Christ became sin for us. One more point about this. John Piper said this, which I thought was really good. He says, We will never understand the depth of our sinfulness without God telling us what the problem is. Which he has had very clearly. We must learn it from the Bible. And what God has said is this. The essence of evil. What makes evil evil is not harm done to man but indignities done to God. Harm to man is horrible, but it's meant to be a vivid parable of the outrage of failing to honor God, failing to glorify God, failing to thank God as God. That's the evil that we do, he's saying, is we don't honor God, we don't glorify God, we don't thank God. There's an evil to that. We just spiritually stink. There's a spiritual stench to us. And what we do here tonight, we stop to say Christ died for this spiritual stink and stench. Because God is holy and Jesus had to come down and take care of that sin for us. And that's what you see going on here in Psalm 22. He is holy. But what? God's also helped other people. Take a look at verse 3. But you are holy. Enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted in you. Delivered them. They cried to you and delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. You know, David is saying, listen. The patriarchs trusted you. The people trusted you. They cried out to you and, they, and you delivered them. You helped them. Why, why aren't you delivering us now? Haven't you ever thought that? God, don't you care? Why have you forsaken me? What, what's going on here? Well, the answer is found why. Verse 6. But I am a worm. And no man. See, I'm nothing. I'm so completely, utterly insignificant. I'm just a worm. You don't even worry about worms. You may try to dodge them here and there while you're walking, but ultimately, you're not going to stay up tonight worried about the worms. You're not going to go out and throw extra food out for the worms. You don't care about the worms. In fact, some of you will go out and catch worms and put a hook through their body three or four times and throw them in the water. That's real nice. We don't care. That's why he says, I'm a worm. I'm completely, utterly insignificant. Why would you listen to me, God? Why would you listen to me when I cry out? But he does. But there's a deeper meaning to this word worm and we don't have time tonight to get into it. So I'm going to have Pat right now put a link up on the Facebook page to a message by a man by the name of John Corson. John Corson is one of my favorite Bible teachers. I thoroughly enjoy reading his devotionals and his commentaries and his teachings. Um, And this message is really special to me. A quick story about this. Back in 1997, we had a friend by the name of Jason that was going out to Calvary Chapel Bible College in Marietta, California. And he contacted and said, hey, would you guys want to ride along with us? with him, I should say. And so Dawn and I, you know, just been married about a year and we thought this is fun, cross-country trip. I had been praying about possibly going out to Calvary Chapel Bible College and just I thought this is great. Dawn and I will go out and look around and see. Now we went out there and saw it and the Lord didn't really call us to it. But anyway, as we're driving out there, um, it was Sunday morning, and we had just left Kansas. We stayed overnight in Kansas, and now we were driving into Colorado and the Rocky Mountains, and it was just amazing. So it was Sunday morning, and so Jason said, hey, I got this message you need to listen to. And the name of the message was called Why Psalm 22 by John Corson. And I couldn't find that exact message, but I found one that he did very similar to it. And I, like I said, Pat's going to be putting it up there. And around the 12-minute, 30-second mark, he gets into the teaching of what it means when Jesus says, I'm a worm. And there's a really deep meaning to that. And so, if you're, I guess if you're bored now, you can just cut over to that. I won't know any different. I don't know who's watching or who's not watching. But if you could respectfully wait till this teaching is done, then you could go watch that, listen to that 12-minute, 30-second mark. He goes into this really deep teaching of what it means when Jesus says it's the worm. And... It's pretty neat Hebrew in there, and I encourage you to go take a look at that, because there's a lot of significance to that. So, Jesus is a worm. The God of the universe has so humbled himself and lowered himself to calling himself a worm. That, that's what we're celebrating tonight. That sinless, perfect, holy God would stop and say, I will go down and fix this problem that mankind created. I don't know how else to emphasize this without it almost being too much that you lose the impact of it. Sinless, holy, perfect God became a worm for us. He's holy, we're not, and He has to fix this problem for us. Verse 6, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Keep your hand here. Jump over to Matthew 27, please. Matthew 27. Let's look at a couple of these prophecies here going on. Look at Matthew 27, verse 39. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself if you're the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Take a look at verse 43, same chapter. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. That's what we just read right here. Go back to verses 7 and 8. They ridicule me, shoot out the lip, shake their head. He trusts in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. These guys that were mocking and scorning Jesus, they didn't even realize that they're quoting and fulfilling prophecy. You know, we did a teaching a while ago about the death of Christ on the cross. It was in our, our Mark study. And if I could give you the reference, I would, but I can't remember exactly where it was at right now. And the whole thing of Christ on the cross is completely ordained by God. Don't ever once think that Satan got an upper hand for just a brief moment. Jesus said for an hour darkness will do this he told Pilate. you have no power over me these guys are fulfilling prophecy and they don't even realize it but jesus on the cross does all in god's perfect plan for this sin to be taken care of absolutely amazing what else do we have here verse 9 but you are he who took me out of the womb you made me trust on my mother's breast i was cast upon you from birth from my mother's womb you have been my god Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Look at the closeness here in verses 9 and 10. Look at the wording there. Took me out of the womb, on my mother's breast, from birth, mother's womb. He's trying to make the point here. Look at the closeness. You can't get any closer than that than a baby and a mother. Once again, you can make the points of David's life, you can make the point of our life, but we're really emphasizing Jesus here tonight. Jesus in 9 and 10, the closeness that God the Father and the Son have had from before the earth even existed, before the foundation of the world was laid, there was this closeness. And there was this also closeness in the sense of even Christ growing up as a man. But there was this closeness, and now all of a sudden you have, verse 11, far from me, Trouble's near, none to help. Jesus is being separated. From God the Father because he's taking your punishment, my punishment on him. That's why we read there in Matthew 27, it's darkness from noon to three. That separation that's going on. That's why now, go back to Matthew 27, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. There was a spiritual darkness here. Sin being punished, being taken care of. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama Sabakian, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Back to Psalm 22, 1. You can see it now. They had had this closeness. They had had this oneness. As Godfather, go back and read that, that John 17 prayer of Jesus. The oneness they had. That now there's this separation. This is why Christ in the garden is crying out saying, take this cup from me. Separate it. And now you see why he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because of you, because of me, because I had a fine, a debt I couldn't pay. That's why he was forsaken. He that knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Second Corinthians 521 Romans 8, 3 by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. John seventeen nineteen, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them. So they can be made holy by your truth. But the despair, the anguish that Christ is going through at this moment. Hebrews 5, 7 gives us a little bit of a hint into it. It says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. To him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. That that phrase there. Loud cries and tears. It's a deep word. One commentator said this. With strong crying. This word does not mean weeping. As the word crying does familiarly with us. It rather means an outcry. The voice of wailing and lamentation. It is the cry for help of one who is deeply distressed or in danger. It is the intensity of the voice which is referred to when he is raised by agony or suffering. It is Matthew twenty-seven forty-six: My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? When he's crying out... It is such a deep word there of what he did for you, what he did for me. Verse 12, back to Psalm 22. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of bastion have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a a raging and roaring lion. There's some neat symbolism there. Time's running a little short here. I have to pick up the pace a little bit. If you're going to listen to that John Corson message, but not right now, because you're listening to this once this one's done, if you listen to that John Corson message, he's going to get into that a little bit. He takes verse 12 about the strong bulls of Bastion. He looks at it as a Canaanite deity, and he looks at it as a spiritual attack, demonic attack around Christ. He also ties it in there to verse 13 of a raging and roaring lion, 1 Peter 5, 7. That's one way to take it. You know, another teaching I heard on it makes the reference to Amos 4. Amos 4, talks about Israel being bulls of Bashan. And what happened is these Bashan bulls were known for their power and their might and their strength. Now in Amos, he's calling them bulls of Bashan. He's basically calling them fat cows. And that's really not a compliment no matter what wording culture you're in. If you call somebody a fat cow, it's never going to go over real well. The point is this, that these fat cows were spiritually fat, but here they were Crucifying Christ, the Messiah, and they didn't even get it. So you can take that verse there a couple different ways. Verse 14 I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. that That's Christ on the cross. No broken bones. John 19. Tongue clinging to his mouth. Matthew 27, he's thirsting. John 19, I thirst. You see it right there. All my bones are out of joint. Not broken, just out of joint. My strength is dried up. My tongue clings. He thirsted. Once again, all these references and allusions to the cross. Because what happened during crucifixion, is it's this idea that when they wanted to speed up the process, they would go break your legs. Because what happens is, as you're hanging on the cross, you're using your legs to lift yourself up to breathe. So if they go break your legs, you obviously can't lift yourself up to breathe, and it sped up the process. And if you remember correctly, as I already made the reference to there in John 19, Christ had no broken bones. They didn't have to do it because he had already died. Here we are a thousand years beforehand, And it's already prophesied, verse 16. For dogs have surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. That's amazing, they pierced my hands and my feet. Time does not permit us to get into the history of crucifixion, but being crucified was not something that was going around here at David's time. The Romans did not invent the concept of crucifying. They just perfected it. It was perfected to be a long, drawn-out death process. We've taught on it many times before, so I'm not going to get into it tonight. But it was just the epitome, the perfection of painful death. But yet here, a thousand years before Christ is on the cross, David is saying, You pierced. They pierced my hands and my feet. What a prophetic reference. It's just amazing. You know, in Isaiah... You know, Isaiah basically says, if you want to know God as God, let the prophecies come out. That's what the Bible has. The Bible has these prophecies. And here's a perfect example of this right here. And it's absolutely amazing. No broken bones. They pierce my hands and feet. 17, I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Verse 18. Look ahead real again at Matthew 27, please. Verse 35, they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophet that divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Once again, another prophetic reference from Psalm 22. Absolutely amazing right here. 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far from me. All my strength hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. Now just stop right there. That's the death of Christ on the cross. Prophetically fulfilled. God ordained. To have Christ be abandoned and forsaken. For your sins and my sins. The man that knew no sin became sin for us. A sacrifice for our sins. Fulfilled prophecy. From down to the clothes being taken care of. The bones not being broken. The words actually being said. The people mocking him, scorning him. A thousand years before Christ. This was written. Now, if we would just stop right there, we have a man on the cross being punished for sin that he did not commit and dying and thrown into a grave. Then you have silent Saturday. Nothing. You have weeping. You have mourning. Now, you know how this ends. Because when we come back on Sunday, we have resurrection Sunday. The tomb is empty and that changes everything. If death has been defeated, it changes everything. But just look how it changes in 21. You have answered me. From 22 on, the whole psalm now goes into praise. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you you who fear the Lord praise him all you descendants of Jacob glorify him and fear him all you offspring of Israel for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted nor has he hidden his face from him but when he cried to him he heard my praise shall be of you in the greatest assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him the poor shall eat and be satisfied those who seek him will praise the Lord let your heart live forever all the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you for the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations all the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. A posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done this. And that's where you say amen. That's where you say there's something deeper here. Because if we would just stop at 21. Once again, an innocent man dying for crimes he did not commit. Crying out, not being heard, suffering, pain, spiritually, emotionally, physically, death. For us sinners, uh, this, this stench, the this stink of sin. But then in 22, it becomes praise. Because... He didn't stay dead. He defeated death. The tomb is empty, and that's what we get to come back on Sunday and sing and praise and rejoice in. But here's the deal since you know this, it changes everything. If death has been defeated, what, what are you facing right now that's bigger than death? Finances? That's not bigger than death. Isolation? That's not bigger than death. Sickness? That's not bigger than death. Death has been defeated. That's what gives us hope today. And this is why, even though this is a very serious, somber, sober teaching, it ends with such joy because we know how it ends. We know how the story ends. And that's what gives us praise tonight to stop and say, Lord, amen. So I just encourage you, these next few days, really think about the seriousness of, of this teaching. The sin that was dealt with for us. The love of the Savior. How he made unrighteous people righteous. He made imperfect people perfect. He did it for us. He did this for us. As Isaiah fifty three twelve says, Because he poured out his soul into death, he was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's us. Uh, Elias, do we have any questions or anything? No questions then. Well then, hey, Sunday we'll be live streaming at 10 o'clock. Uh, we're also going to be doing communion. So encourage you to get the cracker around, get the grape juice around. If you have any questions about that, contact me. Once again, devotional, be it our daily bread, be it the Bibles, be it anything. Contact us. Whatever we can do. Once again, we're going to be prayerful, we're going to be practical, and we're going to be purposeful in this season. Let's pray this out. Lord, help us to truly grasp this. Help us to truly understand this. Help us to get the seriousness of this, Lord. The seriousness of sin. And prepare our hearts for the rejoicing and the praise of Sunday morning. We walk in faith, not fear. You are good and do good. And Lord, we give you Danny again. Danny's having a rough time up there, Lord. Your hand be upon that little guy. Encourage Orshi. Encourage Zoli. Encourage Sam and Emmy the foundation of their lives and their strength at this time. And we just want to pray for a miracle, Lord, of your hand upon Danny, that you would get the glory out of it for you and your glory in all ways in your name. Amen. You guys have a good evening. God bless. If you get a chance, listen to that John Corson message there around the 12-minute, 30-second mark. He teaches about the worm. It's a neat teaching. You guys have a blessed evening and good night.